If you have your Bible, if you're a Bible-toting person, you could open your Bible to 1 John. If you're a computer, phone, app-toting person, open to 1 John. You can lock your Bible in on 1 John for about the next 10 weeks. Exciting, right? But we're going <laughs> I'm excited because I think it's going to be fun. I think God's going to show us some stuff in the, in the book of 1 John. Um, as we start, I want to show you this picture here. Um, does everybody know what that picture is? You can yell it out. What is that a picture of? The Titanic, right? Fun fact of the Titanic that I, I've heard in the past, so I was reminded of this week. The fourth stack, the one on the very end, you'll see no smoke coming out of it. That was there just for aesthetics purposes. It does not, did not do anything. It was only for looks to balance out the, the looks of the boat. The three stacks did stuff. One did nothing. I thought that was kind of an interesting, interesting fact about the Titanic. Now, where is the Titanic right now? Do, do we know? It's the bottom of the ocean, right? Is that a fact? Do we know that's a fact? Why do we know that's a fact? Because we all saw the movie, right? So, because <laughs> it happened. But that's a fact. And, and we all know how the Titanic sank, right? Well, how did it sink? It hit an iceberg, correct? Hit an iceberg, and a couple hours later, it finally went under. And these are the facts. But if you go on the Internet and do some searching... There has been some other ideas of why the Titanic sank, besides just it hit an iceberg. And there's, there's a few ideas of why the Titanic share with you through this noise. So here's, here's a reason why some believe the Titanic sank. They believe the Titanic sank because there was a, an unlucky mummy on board. So there was this mummy that some Englishman owned. After he bought this mummy, this Egyptian mummy bad luck started coming to him and his family. He figured it's the mummy's problem. He sold the money to an American. The American put the, the mummy on the Titanic to ship it to the United States. And they believe, some believe that it's because of this mummy, bad luck came, the boat sank. Here's the problem. The manifest of the, of the Titanic never showed that there was actually a, money, a mummy put on board. But some people still believe that. They believe that it's, it was a mummy. That fourth smokestack... Some said that as they boarded the, the boat, they saw this eerie image hovering over the smokestack, like, like the angel of death. In fact, somebody actually got off the boat and decided, I'm not going on that boat. There's something crazy about that boat and that smokestack. So because of that, some would say that the boat was doomed from the angel of death from the beginning, and the boat sank. Here's another one. The hole, the hole number, H-U-L-L, number of the boat, 3909-04. That was the whole number of the boat. I got a visual aid. Pretty good, huh? In addition to what Mara, you know, the track. I made up my own visual aid. This is the whole number of the boat. Some say... Just mute me there, Rick. So, some would say that this is the reason the Titanic sank. That if you were to take this number and hold it in front of a mirror and see it backwards, this is what it read. No Pope. And because of the anti-Catholic whole number, the boat sank. 
That's the reason the boat sank. But we can throw that away because the final one I want to share with you is probably the most realistic reason why the boat sank. And that's that time travelers came from outer space. This is on the internet, so you know it's true that people believe this. Time travelers came and caused the boat to hit the iceberg, and it sank. And one day, the time travelers are going to return to us and reveal why they did that. So we're in waiting. Now, does anybody believe any one of those four facts? And why? The reason why is because we have eyewitness accounts of what took place and why the, the, the Titanic sank. We have, we have people that survived the Titanic and were able to tell their story of what they experienced when the boat was going down, what they felt when the boat hit the, the iceberg. We have reports of what took place. There's this lady named Melvina Dean, and she's the one that actually inspired the movie Titanic that was made in the mid-'90s. And she was a, a, a child on the boat at the time with her, her brother, her mom, and her dad. Her father died in the, in the sinking. He went down with the boat, but her brother, her mom, and herself survived. And because she survived and she grew up and her mother telling her about her father and what took place, she was an eyewitness to the facts of, of how the Titanic sank. And so what we want to do is we want to look at First John and we want to look at the, the facts of who Jesus was. And so we've just titled this True Christianity because what's taken place in 1 John is a guy named John is writing a letter to the Christian church and he's trying to say, let me share with you the facts of who Jesus was. And so here's what I, here's what I, I need to do today is, is I need to go through some, to me I think it's exciting, but it may, you may find it boring, just some, some overview of, of what is 1 John. Why was the letter written? Did this guy John actually write it? Who was John? And just kind of lay the stage for the next 10 weeks so that we can understand why we're going to look at 1 John. And so, so I'm going to spend some time just laying it out and giving some, some, some overview of that, of this book. Then, in the end, I'll do a little bit of preaching. So if you have your Bible, you could turn to 1 John. And we just need to just do the nuts and bolts of, of 1 John. So, so 1 John is, is, a, is, a, is a book written by the disciple John. And, and, you know, for the most part, most people agree that that's who wrote the book. In most letters in the Bible, it, the, 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 the author actually states his name. You know, I, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, you know, or Timothy, or they, they state their name. Nobody gives, takes credit for 1 John, but the writings, historians, back some, some people who, who referred to, to this writing, all point to, to John. Now, there are some theologians and some historians that will say, no, it's not John. But from studies I've, I've read and I just, I believe it was John, and, and I think we can point to it looking at the gospel of John. So, so John was this disciple of, of Jesus, and, and we know that John was called the beloved one. He was the one that was very close to Jesus. He was the one that walked with Jesus. He, he talked with Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. They say he laid his head on Jesus' chest and can feel the heartbeat of our Savior. This guy, this guy was intimate with Jesus, and so he's, he's the one who wrote who wrote 1 John. The timing of when he wrote it is about, is about 50 to 60 years after Jesus died, resurrected, and then ascended into heaven. So, so John's lived quite a life 
in the 50 or 60 years since his time with Jesus. And, he, and he's seen the Christian church grow. He's seen great things happen, but he's also seen negative things come his way. And, that, and that's the purpose of him, him writing this letter. He's writing this letter while he's in, the, in what is modern-day Turkey. Asia Minor is what they call it. And he's writing it to the church in the surrounding area, just to the Christians, to us. If, 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 if we were just general, it's not specific to a specific church um, in a specific city, but just to the general Christians in the area. So that's kind of the nuts and bolts of what he's doing. And here's the reason why he's writing it. That because in the 60 years since Jesus' death and resurrection, there has been a, a slide, if you will, on who Jesus was. Basically, there's this guy, this enemy named Satan, who has come in and he's wormed his way in, and he's told people different things of who Jesus was. And John is sitting back and he's seeing how the facts have been changed, how myths have been brought forward, and how the understanding of who Jesus was is being tainted. And so he's, he's setting the, the, the record straight, if you will, in First John. It's important for us to see that, that Satan got to work real early with distorting who Jesus was and, and, and who God is. And he hasn't stopped, has he? For us, we can look at, um, you know, in the world there's cults, and those are just blatant groups that just, just say Jesus wasn't who he was. And they just curse, curse God, right? And these, these, these groups just are completely against Christ altogether. But, but one of the, like, deceiving ways that Satan works is he puts twists and thoughts that just change who Jesus was just a little bit. How, how's us to understand or think that Jesus was something just a little bit other than who he truly was? And with that, that can just distort our whole view of Christ and why he came. And that's what, that's what John was dealing with. There was, a, there was this religious group rising up called Gnosticism. And these Gnostics, they, they believed a couple things. And what they were believing was actually causing them to misunderstand who Jesus was. So, so a couple of the key things that Gnostics thought of this time was that all matter is evil. And what, what that means is that that chair is evil. This building's evil. That branch is evil. Anything in the physical is inherently evil. And the only good is spirit. So, so based on that belief system and that practice, they did one of two things. Some tried to refrain from everything that was natural. Anything that, that, that was fleshly, anything that was in, in, in front of us in 3D, they stayed away from because it's all evil. Another part of the Gnostics believed that because it's all evil and there's nothing we could do with it, everything goes. So they participated in everything thinking it just doesn't matter because we're, 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 we're matter ourselves. So we're evil, so we're just going to participate in everything. And so you see how there's a little distortion of that because Jesus never taught either of those two things. Now, when it comes to who Jesus was, this is where the problem comes in. Because all matter, all flesh is evil, they, they could not believe that Jesus Christ, the God, was born into human form. So they believed that, that Jesus was born a natural birth between Joseph and Mary. And at his baptism, the dove you, that we read about, the dove was the Christ descending on the man, Jesus. And then he walked through life 
And then right before crucifixion, because God could not be killed, right before crucifixion, Christ left the man Jesus. The man Jesus was killed. And then, and then that was it. So it protects the Christ from this. But the problem that we have is that that removes the virgin birth. That removes the perfect life. That removes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it distorts who Jesus was to us. And when we believe that, we start to believe other things. It becomes a slippery slope. And when I think about that, here's what I think about. I think that today, what happens with us today is that we can turn on the news, turn on the internet, any social media, any blog, and anybody who wants to explain something can start to scientifically or theoretically explain something and explain their way around the truth of who Jesus Christ was. And that's, that's a slippery slope that we can go on. And so, and so that's why I feel like it's important that we look at, at the facts. We go back to a person who walked with Jesus, who wrote it down and said, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus did. This is the Jesus that you are to follow. One of the, one of the, the kind of this distinctives, kind of the, the phrases that is said around the vineyard is, is the main and the plain. And what that means is this. That means that when, when we want to know who Jesus was, what, what is this Jesus guy, the main and the plain? We go back to the Bible and we say, what does the Bible say who Jesus was? What is sin? What, what is sin? Because in our world, we, we can determine sin on our own, right? We can say sin is this, but sin isn't that. That used to be sin. That's no longer sin. Let's go back to the Bible and see what, see what the Bible says. What should we do in this situation of life? Let's go to the Bible and see what the Bible says. Just the, the plain message of who Jesus Christ was. And that's what, that's what John is teaching here. As John writes this, there's two messages that he wants to give us. Ash, wake up, okay? My slide girl. The first message that John gives us is in 1 John 1, 4. He says this. We are writing these things so you may fully share our joy. This is the, this is the first reason he writes this. And, and I, I have to look and say, why is he writing this? Because he's seeing that their joy is being stolen because of a belief system that they're walking down. We sang about it today. Jesus brings us our joy. Jesus brings us our full joy. We're going to look at that in a second. Second, second message, overlying message of 1 John is that... 1 John 5, 13, he says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. He's, he's, he's given us the facts of what is eternal life. We can lock that down. And isn't that a great thing that when we know we have eternal life, when I know that, that whatever takes place in this body, I'm going to live forever with, with, with my God, we should stop living in fear here on earth. It should... It, it should remove our fear of what's going to take place and what happens in our world because we know that we have eternal life with Jesus Christ. So these are the overlying message of, of 1 John. So that's it. That's basically it. That's, that's the overview. That's why for John wrote 1 John. Basically to re, as a rebuttal to some, a religion that was twisting the truth of who Jesus was. And so we're going to look at that over the next few weeks, okay? So, so this morning what I want to do is just cover four verses. So if you have your Bible, it's 1 John 1 through 4. And I'm going to cover these really quick. I think it's just, it's just basic statements of who Jesus was. He says this in, in 1 John 1 through 4. We proclaim to you 
the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. So with this, what, what John is doing in these first four verses is he's giving his thesis statement to the rest of the, rest of the book. He said, I'm going to cover some things in this book, and, and in, in this, when I cover this, my, these, things, these four things in the letter, you will understand who the Christ is. And so, so the, here's the four things that he covers. He says, Jesus is the word of life. Verse 1 says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we, we have heard and seen. We have seen him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. Peter, Peter wrote me this after he sent the, the voice message about the girl. He said, we have been proclaiming the one who existed from the beginning to this girl. And he answered her prayers and her deepest desires. What John is saying to the Gnostics is Christ, Jesus Christ, that what we were with, that we saw, that we touched, was the God from the beginning. It wasn't this idea that, that the Christ came on this man. He was born the God. When we look back at first, in John 1.1, 1, 1, and this is why, why, some, why I would believe that, that it's written by the same person, it says this. In the beginning, the word already existed. The world, word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everyone that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So John's saying this, Jesus Christ is life. Jesus Christ is the life for us. John 10.10 says that Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have life abundantly. So what is our take home with that? What do do we do with that? Here's what I believe God's saying. Whatever life you think you're creating for yourself through whatever means you're creating for yourself, you're creating the wrong life. The life that he has for you is through Jesus Christ. I, I, here's what I think. I think God spoke to me on Thursday as I was like kind of just mulling over this message. And I think he wanted me to tell this to, to, to us this morning. That if you're creating a life or you think you're creating life outside of a life that's in Jesus Christ... So, so here's what that means, that your job, your career is, is your life, is the path that you think is bringing you the hap- happiness in your life. Is substance what brings you happiness in your life or you think it brings you happiness? Is relationships, the people around you, that's what you hold on to as what gives you life? And it's anything other than Jesus. Here's what I believe God said. Stop it. Stop it. I really believe this. That Jesus would say, stop it. You're ruining time. You're wasting time. You're, the only life I, that you have is in me. So stop it. Take that with you. Take that with you. Stop it. I, we have to come to a place of saying, I, I no longer am going to try and create the life for myself. I need, to create, I need to walk in the life that Jesus has for me. You know, when we come to salvation, 
a lot of times we talk about what we're saved from. God saved me from hell. God saved me from my addictive lifestyle. But do you know that when we come to Christ, we're actually saved to things? There's things that we're saved to, like we're saved to life. We, when we come to Jesus and say yes, we then get life. The life we think we had was death, but we actually are saved to life. We're saved to fellowship with the Father. There's, there's a list of benefits that happen when we come to Jesus. We always look at what we're saved from, and then I just got to walk, walk out my life. <clears throat> but there's things we're saved to, and we're saved to life. So if, if you're a person that's saying, I've been living my life, I, I've been doing my thing, I'm creating this thing for me, and be honest with yourself, is it working for you? If, is whatever you're setting up in your life that th- you think is going to bring happiness, you think is going to bring joy, it, I, I, would, I would, if you really just turned in, inward and were brutally honest with yourself, you would say, no, it's not, it's not completely fulfilling what I think. There's, there's an emptiness. And it's because Jesus Christ is the life. And that's what John's saying. Jesus is the life. And, and here's what I think. I think that, I think all of us, but I, th- I think some of us specifically need to come to a place of saying, God, I've been trying to create this own life for myself, and it's not working. And, and, and turn yourself towards Christ and say, be my life. Now, now, that could be a loaded statement because then it's like, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to live for Christ? What does it mean to let Christ give me life? And, and, and I want to just promise you that if, if you're – if that's a statement that scares you, what does that mean? We are prepared. There's people in this room that are prepared to walk with you and walk with you through life in order to live for Christ. We're prepared to do that. It's not, it's not like, go do it. Go ahead. Go live for Christ, and you're just off on your own. There's people here that have, are making commitments in their life to say, I will walk with others as they learn to live for Christ, as we all learn to live for Christ. So that's the first statement that, that John's saying. The second statement John says about Jesus is, is found in verse 2. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him, and now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. So not only is Jesus our life here on earth, but Jesus is, brings eternal life for us. Let me explain that. I did it a few a year or so ago. Let's just say that that right there represents your 70 years here on earth, your 80 years here on earth, your 30 years here on earth. Whatever your time frame here on earth, that represents your time frame here on earth. Now just picture that little line and then just continue that line right underneath that, that blanket there and just keep going. You can't see that line. So we, we, will, we will do things to make ourselves comfortable, to avoid certain things for this amount of all eternity. And we will skip making steps for the rest of that. And what, what John is saying is, when you come to Jesus, and you say yes to Jesus and allow him to be your Christ, your God here on this earth, then he gives you eternal life for all of eternity. And that's important to us. That's why we exist as Christians. That's why we exist as a church, to proclaim to a world that Jesus is eternal life. 
And so, and so here's, here's what we need to do. I need to ask, is there anybody in here that that rings true to? Is there anybody in here that feels that when, when I say, you need to give your life to Jesus for this, or for this time, your, your, your time here, and for all of eternity? And what I mean by that is I mean that right now there's something going on in you and you're, there's a stirring, a, a, a nervousness in you, a, a butterfly, if you will, and you're saying, I've never done that. I've never given my life to Jesus so that the rest of my life is through him and that through all of eternity I, I, I know where I'm going. I have that, that knowledge of eternal life. So, so here's where you have to be bold. I'm going to just ask, if, that, if you've never done that and you know I need to give my life for all eternity to Jesus. I need you to raise your hand right now. You just need to say, yep, that's me. I've, I've never done that, and I know I need to. And, and, and I honestly believe there's at least one or two in here that need to say that. And so I don't want to make this a big pressure thing. I just want to say here's an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to walking away from the life you've tried to create for yourself that you know is not working. Be honest with yourself. And say, yes, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Jesus, the life giver. Is there anybody in here that would be like, just have the intestinal fortitude to say, yeah, that's me? Okay. We're going to move on. I put it out there. I, I put it out there. So here, let, me just, let me just pause real quick before we move on. I'm confident there's people in this room that have never fully given their life to Jesus Christ. And, and I'm, at the sake of offending somebody, I'm confident that, that you're out there. Now, if you're, you're kind of getting offended right now, maybe it's you. <laughs> so just, just being real, okay? We have a time at the end of service where we want to pray with people. And if right now raising your hand in front when everybody might look at you is, it feels weird, at the end of service, just slip up. And if you're a female, grab one of the females that are up here praying. If you're a male, come grab one of the males and say, you know, that was me. That was me, and I, I need to turn my life over to Jesus. We, we, it's it's most important thing, okay? John tells us that Jesus brings life, and he brings eternal life. The third, the third relational thing that Jesus brings when, when we're in Christ is he brings fellowship. And this is the, one of the benefits of, of being in Christ, of coming to Jesus, is that we have fellowship. Verse 3 says, we proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and have our fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. When we come to Christ, we enter into a relationship with our Father, a perfect relationship with our Father. Now, that's tough for some of us to understand because we have screwed up fathers. We've messed up. Dads, we've messed up. I one time asked a, a pastor, have I messed my daughter up yet? Have I, have I wounded my children? Oh, yeah, you have. Well, what do you mean I have? Because you're human. Because we all fall short as fathers. So, so for all of us, we don't see the perfect image of God the Father through our Father. And for some of us, our fathers were really messed up, so it's really distorted. But what happens when we come into relationship with Christ, we have a perfect relationship with God the Father, and it's a perfect, untainted, pure relationship with the Father. And that relationship is, is, is vital to our life. We come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and we'll look at this next week. Because of that relationship, on our behalf, he speaks up for us. That's a good thing. And then we come into relationship, proper relationship, 
with other people. Not selfish relationships. We don't have selfish fellowship with people. It's a, it's a, it's a pure fellowship with, with the rest of us. That's a benefit of coming into Jesus. And that's a benefit of, of knowing the true, the true Christ. And that's why John is, is saying that. The last to cover today is Jesus brings us joy. Jesus brings us joy. Now, the world tells us to go seek happiness, right? Go out and whatever makes you happy, do it. It's all about you. Do what you need to do to be happy. And, and John says we will have full joy. So there's a difference between happiness and joy. Here's, here's, here's some differences between happiness and joy. Here's the meaning of happiness. Happiness is an emotion in which one experiences feeling, feelings ranging from contentment and satisfaction to bliss and intense pleasure. That's happiness. Here's joy. Joy is a stronger but less common feeling than happiness. Witnesses of, or achieving selfish, selflessness to the point of personal sacrifice frequently triggers this emotion. Feeling spiritually connected to God or to people. Joy comes through a spiritual experience, not through an emotional. Happiness is emotional. Joy is spiritual. Joy comes when we sacrifice our will, when we actually give up our rights for the better of other people. You see the contrast there? And the world tells us happiness is what you need. The Bible says it's joy. It's joy. Here's how we get happiness. Earthly experiences, material objects. You buy a new car, you're going to be really happy for about a week. Then you've got to make the payment. Sometimes you, I've bought a lot of cars. I tend to run through cars. And I've bought cars where I'm like, I'll never sell this car in the, for the rest of my life. And a week later, I'm like, why did I buy that car? And it's on Craigslist already. I feel like a record because I think I've said that before in the past. I have this issue with cars. Here's, here's joy. Here's the cause of joy. Spiritual experience, caring for others, gratitude and thankfulness. See the contrast? The emotion of happiness is an outward, outward expression of elation, of joy. It's inward peace and contentment. Man, that's a good one right there. Do you have an inward peace does whatever, whatever happens around you, you're content with what's going on. You know, Paul wrote, he said, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I've learned the meaning of being full. I've learned, the, I've learned what it's like to be in need. And I'm content in whatever way. That's, that's joy. When, it's, when whatever's happening around me, whatever physically is happening to me, I'm, I have peace knowing that Jesus is my, is my Lord, knowing that God's my Father. I have contentment knowing that it doesn't matter what my bank account says because I have a God that, that takes care of me. That's what relationship with Jesus Christ will bring. That's the joy that it brings. Over the next few weeks, here's what we're going to cover. We're going to talk about fellowship. This is what, what John writes. He, he talks about what the benefits of being in Christ is, the fellowship, the, the relationship with other people, the relationship with God, the relationship with with Jesus Christ, the benefits of that. He, he, he talks about how to spot, how to spy out people who are slipping and, and going down a slippery slope that's leading them away from the true Christ. He, in some cases, he calls it how to, how to recognize the Antichrist. 
And I think that's going to be very important for us because what, what that's going to help us do is when we see a brother and sister or a sister walking down a path that is different than what the Bible says, we can say, this person's heading down a slippery slope. I can go and I can encourage them back. He talks about three different levels of our Christian walk. We're all in a different place, and we're going to cover that. Talks about eternal life. Talks about relationship. So that, that's what we're going to be covering about 10 different topics over the past month or so, over the, in the next month or so. So get excited about it. I'm excited about it. Go home and read First John a whole bunch of times and figure it out. So as we're preaching, you could say, hey, Tom, you missed this part, or hey, you didn't say that, and then we could correct it. Okay? Most importantly, most importantly, know that Jesus is the Christ, the, the, the Jesus of the Bible, because John was an eyewitness, because John leaned against the chest of Jesus, felt the heartbeat of Jesus. He can write and say, this is the Jesus who you're supposed to follow. This is who Jesus is, not what everybody else might say he was, not what Satan has, has slipped the lies into somebody's head. Jesus is this, follow the Jesus of the Bible. So would you stand with me? We will, we will enter into a, just a, a time of worship, and this is kind of our wrap-up of our service. And it's just, it's just a reflection time. This is a time to just worship, worship God one more time as a group before we head out for the week. But it's also a time to, to respond to anything that through worship, through any part of today's service, you, you feel like you need res- to respond to. If you're that person that just was just a little bit nervous to raise your hand, this is your time. Just come up. It's, it's, it's not weird. I mean, it's just not weird. It's, it's giving your life to Jesus and getting life, actually. If you have any kind of a issue physically that you want prayed for, emotionally you want prayed for, if, if, you, if you have a relative that you want to pray for, come up. Before service, somebody came in and we were praying, and they, they saw a picture of somebody with a rash on their back. And, 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 they, and so we just want to call. If you, if you have a rash on your back, whether you know what it is, whatever, we don't have any details. We just saw a picture of somebody with a rash on their back. We want to pray for you and ask God to heal that and remove that rash. And we believe God will. We believe God's a healing God. So if you have a rash on your back, just come up and say, I'm the guy with the rash on my back, or I'm the girl with the rash on my back, and we'll pray for you. So, so, so we'll, we'll, we'll worship, and then you'll see people kind of come up here. If you want prayer, just come on up. At the end of the worship song, Dave and Mara will dismiss us. Let's, let's just be um, respectful. If there's people up here praying and you're not, you're not receiving prayer or, or you're, you're done, just if we could take our conversations out, out the door and out back, that would be great. That way, if you feel like you want to just sit and worship some more or sit and pray or get prayed for, we can use this space for that time, okay? So, so pray with me, and then, and then we'll, we'll go into this time of worship. So, God, God, you're working. I know you're working, Lord, and I know you're drawing people to you. God, I, I know that, that, that in this room there's people that are hurting, that need, need you to break through in their life. And God, I know they need to submit to you certain things that maybe they're unwilling to submit. And they need to turn over areas of their life, if not their whole life, to you. So God, I, I pray that you would just be encouraging people right now. Just giving them a nudge to know that this is a safe place, that there's no other place that they're going to 
they're going to find people that are willing to just love with them and love on them. And God, I, I pray that you would give them boldness to, to reach out and just say, hey, I need, I need somebody to pray for me. And God, God we, we believe that you will do work in our lives. We believe that you heal, Lord. We believe that you comfort us. God, we believe you convict us. So God, we just ask that you're doing those things in our life right now and that we, we will respond to that. God, we, we just pray that you've been glorified in this past hour and 20 minutes, that you've been, you've been lifted up, you've been honored in our worship. And God, we do this for you, for your glory, and to see your kingdom come. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.